Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Tonight's suit is called the Code of Aga, Abandoned Anger. Everybody gets it. <laughs> I didn't think I could pull that off, so. <laughs> but I gave it a shot. Um, I'm going to try reading. If I can, I'm going to pass it off to... The reason why I use my Kindle is I can enlarge the font so it's big enough for me to see. Um, these goggles are great for seeing what's around me and seeing people's faces and watching my dog run. Um, but for some reason, I, I haven't got used to reading from them. But I'm going to try, and if not... Ram will pick it up. Oh, there. <laughs> the Code of Aga, Abandon Anger. Abandon anger at its root, conceit. Go beyond greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. When clinging to name and form, when clinging to name and form is abandoned completely, no stress or suffering arises. So, name and form, the Pali is Namarupa, Sanskrit too, Namarupa, and it it's the, it's the basic problem of ignorance of Four Noble Truths manifesting as fabricated views of self and clinging to those views. To simplify that, it simply means that I cling myself. I put a name on this form. And once I do that, once I identify this as John from a fabricated point of view, I'm stuck in fabrication. And so from that point on, I will cling and identify myself through any form that arises, especially a form that catches my eye. I often talk about the red Ferrari or a piece of chocolate cake or anything like that. Anything that we identify in the physical world can be seen as name and form, but it's primarily self-identification with, with a body that we fool ourselves to think is substantial and permanent. Name and form. Bear with me just a little bit tonight. As a strong charioteer controls their charge, the disciple controls anger as anger arises. So that's an interesting line to me because many people in spiritual practice, so-called Buddha, true Buddhism isn't a spiritual practice at all, is it? But many people who take up these types of spiritual uh, practices, Buddhist practices, see it as a way of salvation, meaning that once I decide I'm a Buddhist, I should never be angry again. The Buddha taught that his Dhamma is about becoming completely free of any fabricated views and allow ourselves to be fully human. And that's such an important line. It doesn't mean that as those engaging in right effort and integrating the Eightfold Path should never be angry because that's denying our humanity, isn't it? It means that we don't take things personally and we, so we don't give rise to the continuation of anger and to justify it. Anger arises and it passes away. And I guess I was some I had some kind of basic understanding of that because I remember when I was married, which was before I came to the Four Noble Truths, my future ex-wife would always kind of she'd be upset because I could get angry, usually in a wrong way, but I'd get angry and the next moment I'd be okay with it. So I always had this ability to to vent and let it go. As a Dharma practitioner, the major difference is I no longer vent. But I, I do feel 
a human level of frustration at, at things as they arise, but they no longer distract. And, and the only way that I can explain that is you have to experience it yourself because there's still things in the world that I notice would be uh, more skillful if they weren't arising that way, but I understand that they're arising because of the ignorance inherent in the world. So there's no reaction. It's simply a, an, an acknowledgement of this. Is, is that clear to everyone? And, and the reason why I'm saying this, I had an interesting email exchange with one of our other students who's not here tonight, so I won't, I won't mention who it is. But, and they're relatively new, but they're coming to grips with that. And they asked me some, some significant questions about feelings arising and passing away. And what do I do about these feelings? And, this, and the solution, the answer framed by the Eightfold Path is to feel them and know that they're impermanent, the four foundations of mindfulness. Tim and I had a brief discussion about that too. So feelings arise and pass away. We don't take any of them personally, including the, the, a, the human feeling of anger or frustration in this moment. But since I don't self-identify with this, I don't take it personally, I don't have to attach it to someone else or try to blame someone else for it. It's simply a feeling arising and passing away. And that's what the Buddha is referring to here. Oh. <clears throat> Where am I? Ah. Let me go back to that one. As a strong charioteer controls their charge, the disciple controls anger as anger arises. This is the true charioteer. Others only hold tight to the reins. That's just that's a a, a, uh, a metaphor for simply getting caught up in the world, and we're always hanging on tight because because it feels like the world is out of control when it's really our minds that are out of control. The world is just the world; it's never out of control. It's our minds that just take it that way. So we hang on to the reins. These simple instructions here. Over, overcome anger by being free of anger. Overcome evil by skillful behavior. Overcome miserliness with generosity. Overcome lies rooted in ignorance with four noble truths. Incredibly practical, isn't it? Do not give in to anger. Always speak the truth. Be generous with little. These three are praised by the noble ones. The disciple, harmless, well-restrained, abandons the living death of ignorance. Confusion, delusion, and suffering cease. Always vigilant and well-focused, ever mindful of the goal. Their defilements fade away. The defilements are greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. So it's not something that we that yields the defilements are not something that yield to a headlong assault. In other words, meaning recognizing that you have it, judging yourself for it, insisting that you don't be that way. Again, we, Tim and I kind of touched on this a little earlier too. The Dhamma is about being very, very gentle with ourselves, recognizing the manifestations of fabrications that as the Buddha teaches are like foam on the ocean. There's nothing really there. And so there's nothing to judge ourselves harshly about it's simply to take another breath and continue abandoning the, the root of all of these manifestations of anger. 
ignorance of Four Noble Truths. And that is precisely what the Eightfold Path is about, isn't it? To develop that understanding of Four Noble Truths. Sorry, it takes a little while to find my place again. Ignorance is an ancient practice. Ignorance is an ancient practice, meaning it's been going on for all of humanity. Rooted in ignorance, they blame those who remain silent, as well as those who talk too much, and even those who speak with moderation. In other, anger, anger, anger board of ignorance is always outwardly focused and always looking for the, the repository of that anger, which is usually another person or co common constructs in the world. And we, we, we see that more now, it seems, in the last nine months than we ever have. But again, this is, ignorance and anger is an ancient practice, born of that ignorance. And where does it come from? Why do we get so angry with things that really have nothing to do with us? Well, because... Because of as it states here, we identify it, nama rupa, name and form. We cling to it. And so when we cling to anything, we're threatened by that, whether it changes in form, meaning someone who is friendly to us might have a bad day and they're no longer friendly. It fills us with fear. We can't accept that We can't under, because we don't understand impermanence. Or we lose something that we hold dear, like a red Ferrari. Or we don't get that second piece of chocolate cake. Or even an idea of how the world should be, again, just to use it as an example, or how politicians should be. We're only setting ourselves up for fear and anger, aren't we? And where does the anger come from? That damn file didn't upload today. I never get what I want. Everything's always against me. It's, it's good to giggle at that because it's foolish, isn't it? It's childish. That's why the best def definition of awakening within the framework of the Eightfold Path, is full human maturity. For someone who is fully mature, what is there to get angry about? Why would we get angry? Why would I want to lose my mind over insisting that something be different than it is when it can't possibly be? And ultimately, that comes back to myself in this moment as a, as a Dhamma practitioner. If I find myself a little bit short of the goal, even though yesterday I might have thought that I reached a goal and today I find out that I'm not because of anger arising, what do I do? I take a breath. I calm my mind. I learn that radical acceptance of each and every moment, including who I am in this moment. And that's the path to awakening. That's the, that's the step on the Eightfold Path. It's practicing wise restraint as in relation to this chapter as anger arises. And as the Buddha teaches us, it's not wrong when anger arises. It's wrong to attach to that anger, meaning somebody is, has, to be, has to be blamed for it or I have to blame myself and I have to justify it in some way. It's simply anger. It's like foam on the ocean. The only problem with anger is if I cling to it and act on it. And I can tell you that, in, in, and I, every human being would say this, I've never ever hurt another human being intentionally, ever. And I have to qualify that except once, and I'm not going to get into the story, but it, it's almost justifiable. I've never, ever hurt anybody with anger, but I've hurt a lot of people. And it never, ever made me feel good, even though I would then often try to justify it and blame the person who 
was the focus of it. And I can still, I mean, even, even knowing that, I can feel, you know, a little, almost tears rolling up because no human being, unless you're a true psychopath, and, and there are true psychopaths, but that's very rare in the world. Nobody ever wants to hurt another human being. But there's something that happens the first time we do it, and it's usually when we're very young, three, four, five, or six, and we don't understand what happened, what just occurred, but we know we hurt another person. And that starts conditioning ourselves, a very subtle conditioning that sets attention within us that we might do it again. And so now we've set in motion a lifetime of fear. Fear of who? Fear of ourselves. And it's all rooted in, in unrestrained anger. But then going back to a three or four or five-year-old acting out out of frustration and knowing that they hurt their, their mother or father or sister or dog or cat, and you can't get rid of it because you're so afraid you're going to do it again. And guess what? You're going to do it again because you're a human being. And so again, I've hurt a lot of people, never intentionally. But I can honestly say that once I actually started developing the Dhamma to a certain point, even that inadvertent harm towards others has fallen away. And that's one of the most freeing things in the world, to know within me, and the Buddha talks about this, about having nothing left within me to provoke another moment rooted in ignorance. The great confidence that comes from developing the Eightfold Path is not having some mystical awareness of the world. It's to know that I can move through the world in peace without any possible way of hurting another human being. That's freedom. That's true freedom. Does everybody get that? Some people see freedom in joining with it and finding comfort with others who have the same view. That, that's such, that, wow, David, thank you for that. And look, that's just what happens today, doesn't it? Because we don't, we don't even recognize that process. And uh, uh, just to simplify, it's called self-loathing. We don't recognize it. And since we don't recognize it and we're afraid of it, name and form, we'll join with other people with that like kind of experience that then justifies it. And it, 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 it diminishes its impact within our mind. It makes it more acceptable because they're just like me. But of course, that doesn't last, does, does it? We know that it's a fabrication. We know that we're clinging to something that is only hurting me and likely now hurting other people. And I'm not talking about murderous, rapists, etc. I'm talking about little hurts that we, that we do on people. Judging other people harshly. It might just be a, 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 a look that we know other people react to in the past. And so we give them that look. We give them the evil eye because we know we're getting a reaction to it. Yes, Michael, please. Hey, John, Ed, uh, this what, uh, what David was saying there. That's generally two people who don't recognize their, their ignorance. Yep. Uh, like, even if one did, or was you know, conscious of, of it, then that might just put an end to uh, a situation uh, instead of becoming more of a self-referential uh, thing between two people where they're bonding over a over wrong view. Yes. And so what, what happens then? What do we, what do we, what aspect of the Dhamma do we employ when um, I'm not getting involved with some other, other person's anger? It's called wise restraint. And often that wise restraint manifests as right speech informing noble silence. We simply keep our mouth shut. But for someone who spent a lifetime arguing with others, that's very hard to do at first, isn't it? When, when name and form, when, I, when I'm 
I'm attached to this person, this fabricated view of myself. I always have to be right. What an awful way to live your life, isn't it? We, we've all experienced that to different, different degrees. But it really, it's, just, it's just awful to think that I have to be right. I have to, I, have to be better, I have to be better than you in order to live in the world. Your view doesn't matter. Perfect word for that is is conceit, right? Yep. I mean, conceit. Where we started here. Conceit or restraint, right? They're two completely different. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're completely different. <laughs> that it, it, that's it's, right. It's, and it's so that the dramatic. The antidote to the to the, this whole problem. I mean, again, this is another one of those chapters that the whole Dhamma is included when we when we understand the framework. Like Kevin was just saying, I can either act out of conceit, out of ongoing eye making, moment by moment by moment, which is how. Most human beings live their lives, whether they know it or not. It's, it's always an, an opportunity to, to I make. Or I can practice wise restraint. Wise restraint is the antithesis, the antidote to conceit. And conceit, living life in a, a conceitful way, I think, I think that's a word, is just horrible. I mean, you might get things. You might have a very successful life materially or... or uh, within a society through, through recognition. But it's just awful. There, there, there's, there's no contentment in that, in that because you're always grasping after. Remember the Sukhavaga and something Tim and I talked about earlier. Contentment is, is, a, is an aspect of wise restraint in this moment by not continually giving in, by recognizing and abandoning all self-referential views rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Thank you all for the great comments. There never was and there never will be a person who can be wholly blamed or wholly praised. Another one I got to pause on. That's a Buddha saying that. And of course he's saying it about himself. So why couldn't this Buddha, the first awakened human being, not simply be wholly praised? Because he's a human being. and He had done things including when he left the palace to seek his understanding. He left, also left a wife and a newborn baby. And so you could say there's a bit of blame there. And some people say he couldn't be awakened because he did that. You know, there's still people that make that argument. But he's, he's simply expressing that I'm an awakened human being and you can praise me, but don't forget that I'm just a human being. And the Buddha consistently, the Buddha never, ever, despite all I learned in different modern traditions, he never held himself out as anything other than an awakened human being. He never claimed to be a god or, or anything else. And the reason why he, he did that often, he, he, he was always presenting himself as just another human being who awakened, is because that's encouragement to us, isn't it? If old Sid, Siddhartha Ji can do it, why can't I? I'm a human being. And so I find myself now at 65 after a couple of years of Dhamma practice going from that person who really could only be wholly blamed because I just wasn't good enough to understanding, yeah, I can be praised some and I, I can still be blamed. No one lives a stainless life 
But as we're going to learn in next week's chapter, we can become stainless. That's a quality of mind. It has nothing to do with the past and has nothing to do with the future. Okay, Great comments. Thank you. But there are those who are praised by the wise who, observing, observing others from right view, day after day, know, know them to be flawless, I'm sorry, flawless in character, wise, virtuous, knowing the Four Noble Truths. Again, a qualification for if you want to be that way, you know the Four Noble Truths. I'm almost ready to pass off to you. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, let me try to finish. These are as worthy as praise as a coin of refined gold. They are praised everywhere. Always guard against angry speech. Always remain in control of speech. Abandon ver verbal misconduct and practice right speech. Always guard against angry, angry thoughts. Always remain in control of thoughts. Abandon mental, mental misconduct and practice right intention. We're including the entire Eightfold Path here, aren't we? The disciple, well concentrated, remains mindful and restrained in thought, word, and deed. They are well controlled free of anger. Thank you. That's what Kevin just referred to, well-restrained. Um, so I apologize if that was a little bit difficult to follow. Um, but that was it. That's what it is. I'm not to blame. Uh, let's go online, and uh, I'd like to talk to, hear what Jane has to say, has to say first. How are you, Jane? I'm well, thank you. I always go first, but all right. That's because you come I on first. Um, you know, prior to my practice, when I would get angry with someone else, I was usually able to walk it off. I mean, you know, I didn't hold on to it too long, but it was the anger that I felt towards myself yeah, and exactly. not just anger, but like disappointment and, you know, upset. That's what I couldn't get rid of. I didn't have any skillful way to get rid of that. And it just accumulated and accumulated. Yeah. And through my practice, I'm, I've been able to get rid of a lot of that built up, you know, accumulated anger. And even more importantly, now I'm able to, I have a, a skillful way to meet those feelings as they occur and, you know, deal with them skillfully. Yeah. Yeah. So it's made, made a big difference. Thank you, Jane. And would you characterize that as freedom? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, oh, yeah. again, we have, we have, mis we misunderstand what freedom is until we come to the Dhamma. Freedom is being free of my own fabricated thoughts and the, and the, the self-loathing, the blame that goes along with it. Thank you, Jane. Meg, welcome to our Sangha, and uh, what do you think of tonight's class? I think it's really great. I, um, it, it brings to mind um, some issues that I've, you know, I've had for probably a long time. I think anger is probably one of the hardest things to come to terms with. Yes. And um, I, you know, I have followed uh, 
a practice where, you know, I've, the antidote is patience, but I found that that almost made it go more internal. Oh, like yeah. I'm, like I'm putting a thumb on a leaky hose, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you're just holding it down, but you're not really solving the problem. And, um, and then, you know, I started doing, you know, listening to some of your, um, your Dhamma talks and, I started realizing, oh yeah, so I, when I get really angry and I react to somebody that's impatient with me and is angry, my reaction is to get angry. Yeah. And and I realized that I'm just trying to defend myself. And when I realized, oh, what am I trying to defend? And I realized, oh, a self that's rooted in ignorance. <laughs> yeah. And then I realized there's nothing to defend. Yeah. And all of a sudden I felt like I could just relax. <laughs> and I didn't have to be angry. And, um, you know, while I still notice that I have a tendency to just jump, you know, when something happens, I now, the patience allows me time to make that realization again. And then it just melts away. That's great. And so, yeah, so that's what it's done for me. Thank you, Meg. That uh, self uh, rooted in ignorance really isn't worth defending, is there? It's not worth defending, no. Yeah, it's not worth the effort. So, well, again, welcome to our song. I hope you, you join us Thank again you. soon. Yeah. We'll be out. We're, we're going to come out and, and, you know, all of us. You haven't seen this Motley Crue. That sounds awesome, yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we will. So. Thank you, Meg. Uh, good evening, Josh. Where were you? On the back nine? Hi, John. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, Josh. Well, I... I didn't play golf today. Oh. I can't remember exactly. Oh, I took my wife. Uh, she had a medical appointment, oh. and it was supposed to have a procedure today. And she had a COVID test done a week ago. And we got there, and they changed the rules without telling us that you had to have one within forty-eight hours. Oh. And so she fasted, and we spent the whole day for nothing. So my initial reaction was just to get pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> That's but right. That was... After after today's talk, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you don't have that luxury anymore, do you? I I was actually during the time able to, to practice a little bit of wise restraint, yeah. and the and the poor RN who was explaining this uh, mess up, I said it's not her fault, and so I became very polite and appreciated her trying to explain to us in a very kind way what happened and she was very apologetic and so uh, yeah. it does it does help yeah. my wife my wife actually is much better at this than I am and, she, and uh, I think she's just naturally that way but uh, for some reason during the your, your lesson tonight I got to thinking about name and form and it all goes I'm, and i get confused sometimes is the nietzsche that is not self or anatta? Uh, nietzsche is impermanence anatta is the not self characteristic anatta anatta yep and i and i kind of think that that's the root of today's yep. lesson because i start thinking for some reason in my mind i was trying to think how many of us can really 
remember our great grandparents and who they were, whether they were good people or bad people or rich or poor or, or whatever. And someday I'm going to be a great, great grandparent and nobody will ever know who I was or remember who I much about me. And so I'm so really unimportant in, in this name and form that I cling to and, and fabricate, uh, becomes a little easier to see uh, how crazy that is to, to do that and how wise the Buddha was to understand uh, how name and form really are uh, no big deal. No, that's right. That's a, that's a good way to put it. We're no big deal. Yeah. I'm no big deal. That's yeah. right. Although I keep thinking I am, but... Uh, uh, I'm getting better at it. Uh, you're getting a lot better. And, and so what is a big deal is the quality of my mind in this present moment. And I'm in complete control of that, aren't I? And you're, that's a good example, that, that story at the doctor's office today. You, you maintain control of your mind. That, that, that's the most important thing. You know? So congratulations. Yeah. Let's see, where are we going next? Everybody online? David, how are you? Good evening. Good to see you, my friend. I think the big thing that you take away from something like this is uh, the being gentle with yourself. Because Josh had a moment of clarity today. He must be gentle with himself the next time he isn't yeah. able to show the restraint. And the practice is all about being aware of that where a non-practitioner uh, is just wildly grasping onto things. Yep. And we as practitioners of the Dhamma rely on the Sangha to put our where we are in context. And I, I think that's an important aspect of, of our practice, is uh, the gentleness and the support of the Sangha. So, thank you. Thank you, David. Again, well said that the being gentle with ourselves and, of course, the support of our Sangha is the key to the Dhamma. Um, and it relates directly to this chapter. If, if, I'm, if I'm angry at someone else, for whatever reason, in that moment, I am being hurtful towards, I'm being hurtful to another person, but I am hurt, hurting myself. It's the it, it, it's the, again, it's the antithesis of gentleness for me to not be gentle with you. And you could say that another way. When I, when I am gentle with myself, I will be gentle with all other human beings that I interact with. It's, it's just that way. A gentle person is not capable of, of a gentle person being gentle with, who is practicing the restraint of the Eightfold Path does remain harmless. And we talked about that in a few different ways. That is freedom. That's true freedom. To know that I can no longer cause harm to myself or others in the world. That's the ultimate freedom. And, and any other aspect of freedom that we might want flows from that one, one position, one, one quality of mind, is remaining harmless. Because anything else is grasping after and clinging to phenomena. Thanks, David. Kevin, good to see you tonight. Good to see you, too. Uh, I don't think I have anything to add, just really... Appreciative and grateful of uh, all the song and contributions. Right, thank you. Glad you're here too.
Rom. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is one of those uh, pieces of the Donald Potter that are actually really practical. Yeah. They really deal with, you know, the stuff that we bang into every day. Yeah. Pretty much. A lot of times, you know, more than once a day, usually. Um, and towards the end, um, the way he lays it out, you know, always guard against angry thoughts. You know, you know that this can happen. You know, be aware that 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 this anger can arise. Yeah. You know, and 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 see the circumstances, and then remain control of your thoughts. You know, be there when it happens. Don't try and run away from it. Don't try to suppress it. Just be there when it happens, and then you can abandon it. Once you see it, <coughs> Excuse me. you practice right intention. Yeah. So it goes from the arising to the being there to the resolution of it. Yeah. And you end up with a calm, a calm being. Yeah. And it's a, it's an acknowledgement of our own humanity, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It, it's yeah. We can't be it's, anything other than, than yeah. human beings ever. It, you it's, know? And it's the the anger is is the one thing that um, that gets us every yep. time. It's the one thing that always got me in trouble. Yeah. You know, and now it does it. Yeah. No matter how mad I get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to take so see your perspective. Okay, Julia, how are you tonight? Thank you, Rom. Um, I'm good, John. Thank you very much. Uh, I have nothing really to add. Um, thank you very much for the teaching. I'm glad you joined us. Good evening, Michael. Good evening, John. Uh, I think uh, abandoning anger um, comes down to living in the present moment and being aware of being harmless to ourselves in that present moment. Um, that perspective of being harmless um, keeps us, uh, actually enable, uh, enables us to withhold the Eightfold Path in mind. Mm -hmm. So then, if we can get ourselves there in that mindset, then we can respond and react to life as it occurs in the present moment yeah. from right view. And that will... Uh, then again, that'll uh, actually start an unbinding process of uh, conditioned thinking and habitual uh, behavior. Uh, well said, Michael. That the developing right view is then the framework for how we interact with life and, and recognize Our own the. Hands. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Tim, how are you tonight? Good. Good. Thank you. Uh, thanks, everybody in the Sangha, for the comments. Um, this is a very, uh, anger is a, a bane of humanity. Yeah. Uh, the Buddha's talking about how ignorance is an ancient practice. <laughs> we kill each other from it. Yeah. We go to war, we torture, we do all these horrible things, all stemming from this anger. Um, 
And anger is always self-referential. This, this is a very, I, I don't want to take it personal, but it's, it's something that's very, uh, it affects me very much. And a couple people know that with me, anger solicits a pain response. Mm. And what that is, is that it's suppressed anger becomes rage. So if you don't abandon anger and you leave it inside and it boils, it is, it is expelled and it's all wrong view and it all stems from ignorance. Um, it's something that uh, is so liberating once you understand it to be, to, and Michael spot on with the, with the anger is everything that is harmful to oneself yeah. and to others. Because anger, when, if, if you ever get angry again, just recognize how awful you feel afterwards. It hurts you. Yeah. It's a harmful, it's a harmful reaction. Um, it's a result of, cra of craving, craving that's established from that self, from that conditioned thinking in the past. And I love how the Buddha gives us the answer. And Kevin, I think, uh, alluded to it, which is that wise restraint, the restraint of the using of speech. Of, and Ron mentioned it a couple weeks ago about not disparaging people, mm -hmm. being mindful of how you act, respond to the impermanent phenomena around you. And it's that simple. But it starts at recognizing your ignorance and, and again, speaking from my own self-referential, from my own introspective nature, recognizing that I am having an I am not I'm not recognizing my ignorance therefore I am feeling angry back up breathe recognize mm -hmm. it and let that anger go because if it's held on it can it can hurt you yeah. and others mm -hmm. so thank you for this teaching what a wonderful chapter um, it's a to me I know it's a, it may seem like it's like every other chapter but it's so strong because these are these this is the thing that that, that to Ram's point, we see it. We see the negative, we see the harmful effects in the world around us because of this thing, because of anger. Yeah. So, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And notice where it comes in this, in the Dhammapada, right after the chapter on skillful desire and the benefits of that. And now this stark contrast of, of not skillful desire, the, the continued eye-making, you know, by self-identifying with with phenomena, it's just there. You brought up something for me because Josh mentioned uh, how many of us remember our great grandparents. I remember one of them uh, from the Fratelli Valerio side, the Italian side. Taduc was his name, and he used to say when he was angry, he says, "You give me the agita." <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Brett. Hello. You give me the agita. Not you, Brett. Uh, thank you for thank you for your teaching. Um, good to be here tonight. Thank you for everybody's contributions. Uh, nothing to add. You did. You added a lot by coming here. I'm glad you're here tonight. You. So, uh, and Meg, I got to ask you too. You understand why I'm wearing these silly goggles? Actually, no. Uh, okay. But I um, assume that you um, have a, a problem with your eyes, and it's no, some type no, no. of a chronic condition. I no, don't know. No, I, I'm, that's why I want to explain it. While I'm teaching, I like to watch reruns of Abbott and Costello, and so I can do that. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sorry. 
Uh, I need to take this more seriously. Yes, I have actually generation, and this lets me see a little bit. Okay. And I, actually, they work very well, not a little bit. So. Just wanted to explain it to you. So you didn't think I was watching Evan Costello back here. Um, all right, we're going to finish as we usually do with uh, Meta. This, this I can read. And sorry about that, my stuttering when I when I was reading, but it worked. For a blind man, you did pretty good. Yeah, I think so. Who's that? I'm not going to go on. I've been silly enough tonight. The uh, Karaniya Metta Sutta, uh, the Buddha's words on Metta. So uh, gently close your eyes, gently close your mouth, and take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. The Buddha's words on Metta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace. And Meg, again, thank you for joining us and welcome to your Sangha. See you, Josh. Thanks. See you, Jane. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.